0: Everyone tried to screw with us and just get the last out right there. It's just like, we're still here. <laughs> you can't get rid of us. I don't care if we're bottom feeders.
1: Well, Brandon Kinsler just said it best. The Marlins are still here. You can't get rid of them. <laughs> so with that said, welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami, Mar- Miami Herald's Miami Marlins weekly podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Dre, are you feeling as pumped up as Brandon Kinsler was a few days ago?
2: I mean... I- I want to know what he did in between the celebration on the field and then talking to us because someone must have, have, I don't know if he drank something or I would not put it past those celebrations can get pretty cool. I mean, we saw the cigars and all that later on, but I just know I want to hear Brandon Kinsler unfiltered, you know, whenever, whenever we possibly can. I mean, I, I hope, I hope he at some point gets a podcast going and let that guy just go off.
1: With that, Brandon Kinsler, you are welcome on this podcast anytime you want. We are more than welcome to have you join us and even take the lead on this if you want to. But, there you go. But as we transition back, let's look back at those two games against the Cubs. Obviously, they get the big win 5-1 to on Wednesday. They have a rain out with no rain on Thursday, which we can touch on that in a little bit. And then they get the big 2-0 win on Friday to clinch it. 6-0 has a big game. Obviously, you get the two big runs in the 7th. Just overall, what were your impressions, Dre, and what did you like most about what you saw from the Marlins over there in two to, games?
2: Uh, before we get to the game, are your clothes dry yet? Are you, like, were you able to, to get through that, that day where it rained a lot? I know you got soaked.
1: Yeah, those couple drops really got the best of me while I waited for my Uber outside of the, outside <laughs> of the ballpark.
2: <laughs> I, I'm glad you made it through okay and made it safely back to your I marked myself
1: safe on Facebook. I did mark good. myself safe on Facebook.
2: Very good. Your family was concerned, I'm sure. <laughs> But, uh, but, yeah, no, I, I thought in general, you know, the what jumps out of me, of course, first off is one run in two games. I mean, we saw, we saw the pitching we said it a couple of weeks ago that in a tight series, you, you could bank on this team to have the rotation step up and, and give them a chance against anyone, against really in any kind of matchup. And then specifically uh, attuned to like what the Cubs had done this year, you know, hitting under 200 against flamethrower-type pitchers that that consistently throw over 95 to 100. I mean, that's the bread and butter of this rotation with Sandy, with Sixto there. So it was the perfect formula for, for the Marlins to throw these two guys in two days and just give them a chance. But then credit has to go to the way that they were able to just battle in each game until finally the offense broke through. We saw it with Coop, We saw it with, you know, in the second game when they finally got a few runs, get a lead. And this team is going to be dangerous for as long as they're in the postseason if they get a lead with this kind of pitching. I mean, that's the whole thing. As long as they don't melt down early or or, or fall behind too much, I mean, I think this team has a chance. I mean, they're always going to battle back. But their ability with that pitching staff to sit on a lead and and really protect it, especially with with the starters, is going to be interesting and I think gives them a chance against any team.
1: Yeah, the pitching is the main thing, but I want to – go into what we saw from the offense. I mean, we saw the reason that they brought these veterans in, with Corey Dickerson, Jesus Aguilar both hitting the big home runs in the first game. Uh Miguel Rojas helping set the tone for that rally in the first game. I mean he's been here for a while but still veteran presence. Starling Marte, which we're still waiting to find out exactly if he'll be able to be able to play in the in this series with after fracturing his basically his pinky finger in the first game in the ninth inning. But you saw the veterans, you saw the guys who had who the Marlins wanted to be here for to help with bringing the younger guys along and who were still more or less in the prime of their careers. And can't forget Matt Joyce with the big defensive play in the second game, which, oh, no doubt. which I mean, Shit. something we haven't seen. I mean, it was only the second outfield assist in Marlins playoff history and good old Mr. Marlin yeah. with the only other one. So uh, yeah, well,
2: uh, aside from the punch, holding the ball, you know, with a big, uh, you know, pumping his fist behind the plate, that was the only other time. Uh, kind of, kind of hard to believe, even though the Marlins haven't played a ton of playoff games, but that only two. But again, very meaningful. Again, happens in the first round of a, uh, of, a of a year of a playoff run, and if you look at it, six though wasn't. Super, super dominant, but very good. And the composure he had on the mound, too, impressed me, especially in those situations. Because, yes, Matt's throw, Joyce's throw bails him out right there. But he still has to finish that inning. Mm-hmm. Very easily, If the, that he could have caved right there. And then even more impressive later on, that bases-loaded situation, to step up and make those kind of pitches. And the one thing that stood out to me, too, everybody talks about the fastball. Everybody talks about the triple-digit heat. But he gets Schwarber with the changeup. And that's a pitch that has really come a long way for him. And if that becomes a real, you know, even like a plus or even a a plus plus offering for him in the future, how deadly is this kid going to become as far as, you know, a frontline starter is?
1: That's that's scary to think about. But also now we have to also remember the fact of, like we talked about last week, that was the first time the Cubs saw six though. So, and the first time that he's faced, whichever team is, he's had really good success. We saw what happened in his last two starts of the regular season when he faced the Nats and the Braves and they peppered him. Now he's going into round three with the Braves. Obviously, he'll be starting game two, but just it's going to be interesting on my end to see how he responds to has a great first game against them, gets shelled game two. Does he learn from that and go back to what he did game one? Does he figure out the Braves' tendencies against him from game two and be able to react to that? How he sh- What growth he shows to us on Wednesday, I think he's really going to be be a stepping stone one way or the other for how he ends up continuing on yeah I mean I think it's interesting
2: to look at all three of these projected starters you know for for different reasons I mean sandy I know it's the first time he's facing a race this year but sandy's very familiar with that lineup from the past but he's a diff- he's evolved into a in, into a much more confident pitcher on the mound made adjustments his pitches obviously are, are further along than they were a year ago the last time he faced them so that matchup in itself and not surprised that Mattingly went with him in game one, not just because he's been there, but if this becomes a five-game series, he's the guy that you want to have because I think he's the most durable option if you need to bring back someone in game five on three days rest as well. So there was that factored in. But you mentioned Sandy, uh, Sixto, I'm sorry, uh, coming back and responding to that. The guy that actually got a chance and cashed in on it was Pablo, who had the terrible start in that 29-run shellacking they took but then was able to pitch against them one more time in the regular season and looked a lot better through those five shutout innings. So I think that's something that for even for Pablo, if we're talking about just in game two, is going to be big for him because it was a chance to kind of, you know, push that, that debacle aside, you know, get, get back on track, get back to the type of pitcher he's been for them for the majority of the season. And that's huge. I think the, the familiarity in this series is going to be very interesting to see how both teams react because I asked Miguel Rojas today how he prepares for, for that. And it's not just the 10 games this year, but if you think about it, these guys, all, like especially the veterans
1: mm-hmm.
2: from here, mickey has been playing against Freeman and, and, and Acuna and Albies and for a couple of years now. You know, Marte on another team, Dickerson on another team, but all these guys know each other really well. So very different from the last series where it was kind of, you know, a little more, little more brand new element to it, having not faced each other the whole season.
1: Yeah, and before we go, going, I want to say I misspoke earlier. Sixto, obviously, is game three. Pablo's game two. I said game, that Sixto was game two earlier. So Ooh. Yeah, so it's San, it's Sandy, Pablo, Sixto for the three for the Marlins. It's Max Fried, Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright for the first three games. Yep. And then should this series, which I really don't see how it's going to be a sweep either way, should this series go on to a game four and potentially a game five, just looking at starting pitching on both sides – you have to think that it once his extends past game three, the Marlins have the clear edge on the mound. When you look at the depth that the Marlins have, they have, obviously it's a lot of young guys with Trevor Rogers, Braxton Garrett, Nick Neider, potentially might be able to see an Edward Cabrera. He's been on the taxi squad. He threw four innings of a sim game back in Chicago. And Don Mattingly's obviously talked him up about how good he could be and how he could be a front-end guy once he's fully healthy and fully able to have his turn, have his time, but you could always still see him in a mid, mid middle relief, long, long inning role. But, and then you look at the Braves who outside of their first three guys and even Kyle Wright is their third guy is still shaky at best. In my opinion, once they have to go into game four and game five and potentially have to go into a bullpen game or have free go with second time on short rest, that really, to me, speaks like it could go in the Marlins' favor if the pitching does what it's been doing all year.
2: Yeah, I think in terms of, of starter options that you'd, you'd like to rely on, you, it clearly is better than throwing just relief arm after relief arm, inning, a, inning after an inning. But it's still a little bit of a wild card in the sense of, you know, Trevor Rogers is still a rookie. I mean, he doesn't have that many starts under his belt. You hope that he responds, but you don't know that. You, know, you haven't seen him really under that kind of pressure yet. And, jeez, what a – I mean, welcome to the big leagues, Edward Cabrera. Bloop, drop you in into a playoff game. I mean, who doesn't that? that's unheard of, uh, really. I mean, for a guy to make his debut in that situation, even if it is for an inning or two in, in a long-release situation. So, I mean, yes, the talent's there, but there's still a lot of unknown elements, I think, where you really have to see how young guys respond. So it's a tricky situation on both sides – That'll be interesting to watch, both from, from that sense on the Marlins side and from the Braves' side, not really having a true starter. And that's where not having Soroka hurts you in terms of depth, you know, at this point in a series like that. But, you know, if it does go far, Game 4 promises to potentially be maybe the wildest of all of them. And if then if it goes five, then you're talking an endurance test because I, I still think at that point you get the Sandy-Freed rematch.
1: Yeah, and being able to see both of them twice, i would be... That'd be some pretty fun baseball to watch. Uh, big picture with this team. Obviously, we know the Braves' offense. We know what they have. They have Freddie Freeman, who's a really st- strong contender for MVP this year. Ozuna mashing 18 home runs this year. Dansby Swanson's had a good year. Acuna's Acuna. Just watching that offense, just take me through what you see when you watch that offense and just what you think the Marlins are going to have to do outside of Madden Lee's message of, yeah, you just got to pitch. So obviously just pitching isn't really going to be enough just to stop this team.
2: Damage and lots of it. That's what I, that's what I see. I mean, it reminds it really does remind me on a, on a maybe, I don't know if I'd put them exactly on the same level as maybe the Dodgers lineup. I still think maybe they're a little better in, in that regard, but it's getting there. That Atlanta lineup has a lot of not just power, but an ability to just barrel balls, drive runs in, you know, good situational hitting, all of that. And that's where it's going to be a lot tougher because they're not going to, they don't have the same ability to overpower the Braves lineup the way they did the Cubs. You know, this isn't a team that struggles against velocity. This is a team that you're going to have to pitch. You're going to have to locate, you know, sequence your pitches, right. You're going to have to keep them off balance a little bit. They talked about the difference that in that, again, in the on workout day of how this team, you know, has the typical struggles you might see with off speed pitching more than velocity. So it doesn't play so much to the strength of the Marlins uh, starters as much as it did in the first round so that's where it's going to be interesting to see where the chess match goes that's where maybe i think you know what out of all those starters maybe pablo not being the hardest thrower but being a guy who does have that good secondary stuff he might be a key guy to watch i mean if the if they can somehow snatch game 1 then you're looking at, then you're in a good spot because you you like your chances with probably the 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 pitcher that Potentially is the toughest matchup for them for the Braves going in the second game when you're trying to take a commanding lead in the series.
1: And then with ca- pitching, obviously comes catching, and I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it. Chad Wallach, he's the yeah. guy who again Wally. he's been has ar- been around for a few years now. Obviously, his dad was Donnie's bench coach for a few years, and good Tim, Wallach. Tim, good old Tim Wallach, and Chad's been for the. For better or for worse, he's more or less been a backup catcher his entire career, and then these this last month or so, you start see don you start seeing Don Mattingly roll him out behind the plate more and more often, and the pitching staff has really responded to him behind the plate. So yes, you you sacrifice a little bit of the offense, sort of. You can dive into that in a little bit with having Wall go over Alfaro, but. When you have starting pitching and you know that that's more more or less going to be the difference between winning and losing in the playoffs, Mattingly's gone with Wallach, and Wallach has really produced this, year, this these last few weeks.
2: Well, we've established on this podcast that I'm that I'm possibly a lot older than you, Jordan. So, like when you said Tim Wallach, all I can remember is the the old Expos cap, him out there. All that I remember, I actually old enough to remember when when Tim Wallach was playing, and I had his his baseball cards and all that. So took me back, but it's good to see because Chad really, you know, maybe I'm I'm not sure if we mentioned this before, but tough year last year coming off a really concussion, concussion that kept him out. So good for him to to bounce back this way, and and like you said, I mean, yeah, every game in the playoffs, every at bat is so crucial that you want a guy like him that gives you so much on the defensive level. And then even working with the pitchers, even from the something that, that we touched on the other day, pitch framing. I mean, how many times have calls been so close this year, both, you know, in favor and against, you know, and, and even the adjustments umpires are making, you know, with COVID maybe, you know, behind the plate, maybe a tad, you know, further back than they normally are little things like that, potentially that where, pitch framing is so important to just give your give that pitcher the best possible chance to get those strikes. And Chad Wallach, while he's not elite in the in, in the league when it comes to pitch framing, he is the better of the two catchers. And he has been probably the best catcher when it comes to that for a while on this roster, even before this year. So a lot of little intangibles that and, and things that on the field that, that Chad is going to bring, even if he's not hitting 280 and hitting bombs left and right. He's hitting just enough where he's not that much of a liability in this lineup, and he can bring you so much more behind the
1: plate. And to dive into the numbers just a little bit, Chad Wallach this season caught – this is going off of how starting pitchers have performed when each catcher is behind the plate. Chad Wallach over his last 11 starts, which includes both postseason games, starting pitchers have a 2.56 ERA yeah. with him behind the plate. Jorge Alfaro this year, obviously the bigger sample size, a lot more could happen throughout it, 4.3 ERA. Granted, that also included the twenty nine nine shelling, where where Pablo gave up a uh, seven in one to one and two thirds. But even if you take that out, it's still going to be hovering around that four mark. So a yeah. run and a half earned run ERA difference between the two—that's that's pretty significant, especially when you have these games where a lot's probably going to come down to one or two runs.
2: Yeah, and, and, and let's be clear: this is more of a timing. Thing Right now, yep. just because Donnie's going with the hot hand right now, because if you look at the overall numbers, there's a lot of cases where if you look at a picture with Alfaro or with Wallach, it still favors our faro a lot in the numbers in terms of the overall picture. But right now, in these last 10, 11 games, there's no doubt that there's been more success with Chad Wallach and Donnie's and, and Mattingly's was taking the most advantage of that right now by putting Chad in there. And it's a good strategic move. And you know what, it's good to see him making those moves to to further the case that everyone's making for him as manager of the year for, for a number of reasons off the field already. Now, another mm-hmm. another strategic move that seems to be paying off in the playoffs. So let's see if it works against the Braves.
1: Yep, and speaking of that, prediction time. What do you got, Dre? You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy.
0: What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah! a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by
2: famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for the Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You know, I went against them the last round. I really, you know, because of the Cubs pitching staff. I, I think it is going to go five. I think we're going to have a, a crazy series back and forth. And you know what? I'm just going to pick them this time. I'm going to say they pull it off in five.
1: Okay. I have, I have Marlins in four this time. I feel like I think Sandy's going to get the better. Sandy's going to top Max in game one, give him the good momentum. They're going to split. I don't know which way it's going to go between Pablo or Sixto, how games two or three are going to go, but I think they're going to split those. And then I think when it gets to game four – the Marlins, I feel like just knowing what they have in terms of their options, and knowing compared to the Braves, I feel like they're going to have the better options on the mound when it comes to Game Four. So I feel like it'll be it's going to be a three to one series, and then it's going to be seeing what happens between the Dodgers and the Padres, which is going to be a really fun series to watch on in its own right too.
2: Oh, that's the one I've been waiting for for sure. I mean, I think two two of the most exciting series, stepping outside of the Marlins for a second, are that one. And the one that started Monday night with uh, the Rays and the Yankees. I mean, that to me, two marquee series going on at the same time. I mean, that, that's what's beautiful about, you know, this, this playoff baseball format. I mean, it, it really does give it like this, this, this lively feel to have all these games, all these series going on at the same time.
1: Yeah, and as we close this out and get ready for the latest round of, of postseason baseball, this time live from Houston and Minute Maid Park. Uh, we're going to just play some sound from some of the players over the last last few days. Just everything they went through, you can just hear the excitement. You can hear the just how ready they were for this moment and just how they're embracing everything that they've gone through this year. The underdog mentality, the bottom feeder mentality. Again, Brandon Kinsler, we appreciate your time up at the top. But we're just going to let a couple of the other guys just explain what this moment feels like and how they're ready to to go ready to go as they continue this playoff run oh it's awesome
0: it's so cool um i mean from day one this guy these guys were you know determined to to prove people wrong and and uh, you know uh, kind of get away from that stigma of the marlins you know being a hundred team loss and um you know it's incredible it's a really cool group of guys uh, you know, one of the best leaders I've seen and played with, uh, Mickey Rojas, uh, has been incredible to lead these, uh, these guys and this team uh, every day, talking and communicating. Obviously, you guys know uh, what happened early in the season. Uh, so, uh, you know, there was – man, this was the craziest year I've ever played in uh, by far, uh, just, just what this team has been through. Uh, what you have to deal with as 2020 and COVID, and, and uh, it's a completely different atmosphere and, and scenario. But this team has done such a credible job of really sticking together, uh, supporting each other, and, and flat-out grinding out games. I mean, you know, you guys know as well as I do the amount of games that we played in a short amount of time. Uh, so uh try not to get a little emotional, but I'm really proud of these guys, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, I think the first game of the year hit, uh, you know, I think that, you know, lit a fire under our ass, you know, having their, you know, one of their reporters, you know, label us as a Bob and Peter from the first game on. You know, it's – you take that to heart. You know, you go out there and you try to – you try to stick it to everybody because, you know, whoever it is, the media, anybody, the national media, you don't get the respect, you know, that we think we deserve here. Um, it's just – the bottom feeder it's a mindset it's it's uh you come in every day and you know you're working butt off to you know take it to the opponent it's 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 an everybody every mindset it's it's a it's a great mantra to have this year because you know it shows that everybody is riding along on the same train yeah yeah definitely Uh, i mean uh i think our our our, the, the way that they're gonna see us is not gonna is not gonna be just because of the share or the bottom feeders is what we overcome in this uh, this year and the bond that we create for sure. Uh, uh, this is just a step a step of the way that, that we are we are going to the the final line which is winning awards here. So uh, for me, we just we just making stride and we just continue to uh, to, uh, to progress. So that's that's what we're trying to do here.
1: And with that, thank you again for listening to the latest episode of Fish Bites and we'll be back next week. Thank you, everyone.